0: the International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE radio a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side now here's your host Lee Whitting do you have to die to appreciate near-death visions or can just hearing stories from near-death experiencers open our eyes to what happens when we die Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Before we get into uh, today's discussion, I want to mention something that happened to me uh, on account of listening to radio this morning. Uh, On Garrison Keillor's Writer's Almanac show on public radio, he read an er excerpt from William Wordsworth's Ode, Intimations of Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood. And by golly, I had one. And so I thought I'd read just one little phrase uh, from this poem uh, to you guys, and maybe maybe you'll have the same reaction. It, this triggered a memory of my own that confirmed the experience of remembering a way of seeing when we are very young. Um, so let me just read this one verse and see if it uh, doesn't do the same thing for you. There was a time when meadow, grove, and stream, the earth and every common sight, to me did seem appareled in celestial light, the glory and the freshness of a dream. It is not now as it hath been of yore. Turn wheresoe'er I may by night or day the things which I have seen, I now can see no more. So, uh, let me know if you, uh, if that triggers in you some very young memory of how things seem to have a, a radiance and a glow of their own. In my career as a hospital chaplain, as an experiencer myself, it's been easy for me to use my NDE in talking to those who ask me about what happens when we die. But what about chaplains and other counselors who have not had an NDE? Can they use stories from this rich source of otherworldly experience to assure worried patients about the immortality of the soul? Well, our guest today has been doing just that and with notable success. Bo Phillips, a non nde himself, was motivated by NDE research to start a death and dying study support group at his church, moderate NDE book discussions, and search for a faith community that uh, more fully reflected the lessons of the NDE. He believes we don't need to have an NDE to appreciate the pro- profound life lessons they reveal. Moreover, Bo has observed that when exposed to NDE research and the personal NDE stories, some non-near-death experiencers are compelled to share their own unique spiritual experiences they have uh, rarely, if ever, discussed before. The topic can also lead to a new openness to spirituality based on living without fear, living with purpose, and the true nature of consciousness. Uh, Bo is a real estate professional in Washington, D.C. He volunteers with organizations helping to promote action to limit climate change and prevent youth suicide. After college, Bo's first job was in Kenya teaching English as a rural secondary school. Bo, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: Thanks very much, Lee. Good to be with you.
0: Uh, Bo, tell us um, uh, to start off with how you became interested in NDEs and um, and how it sort of led you in the path you're going in now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, It's an interesting story. In 1976, I was 10 years old, and my dad shared uh, with my sister and I this interesting book he was reading called Life After Life, and I decided I wanted to read it, and I ended up doing a fifth grade book report on it to uh, the dismay of my teachers, but it kind of started uh, a lifelong interest in the topic, but it wasn't until much later and recently in 2007 when my UVA alumni magazine had a fascinating 30th anniversary kind of retrospective on the book, Life After Life. Moody wrote it while he was studying at UVA and uh, working with Bruce Grayson, the director of the Division of Perceptual Studies there in the med school in the psychiatry department. And I started sharing that article with a lot of people. Um, and it led to some really profound discussions about life and death and their own spiritual experiences uh, there was one conversation I'll really never forget with my aunt when she was um, in the end stages of a very brief uh, fight with stage four lung cancer, where I shared this article with her. I had actually sent it to her just before she was diagnosed by coincidence, and when we discussed it, it led to uh, a long, revealing conversation about her own spirituality that basically none of us were aware of. She, uh was not religious at all, but I felt like the article was a way for her to reconnect to her spirituality at the end of life, and it led to a lot of other discussions with other people, my uh, father, her brother, and other close family members, so I kind of then got motivated to share the information about the near-death experience with others, and that led to starting a death and dying study group at our church. It, it wasn't just about the near-death experience, but also about how uh, folks can be more present at death and support those who are in hospice uh, with books like uh, The Needs of the Dying and other um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. We studied a lot of those different books. But certainly uh, the NDE was a big part of our focus as well.
0: Mm. Now you were, I think, as I understand, part of a mainline church at that time, mainline Protestant church that wasn't terribly receptive to the notion of uh, discussing NDEs as a part of their uh, understanding of what happens when we die. Uh, so tell us, because I think this is true not not just of that one congregation, but of many many mainline congregations that I've encountered. Uh, why why do you think that is, and um, how How uh, is it possible to change um, that attitude toward NDEs?
1: Right. Well, first I'd say, as far as that church's attitude goes, it was a very progressive, open-minded uh, church here in D.C., one of the largest Methodist churches in our um, Baltimore-Washington conference, and they were very supportive in terms of allowing us to explore these topics. I don't think... Um, not everyone was on board with the topic or I think skeptical was probably the attitude of some, but the first one of the talks we had where we brought in a speaker, he was a former um, president of IANS. Uh 50 people came out of a congregation, about eight or 900. Uh, so that was a great turnout. And um, my interest in finding uh A different spiritual home, kind of, grew out of the life. Excuse me, the lessons of the NDE, where um, all people are divine. We're all going back to a source where there's no judgment, where we are actually judging ourselves in our life reviews, according to the NDE stories, and looking for a church that was more uh, based on less of the doctrine, and more on the principles of love and forgiveness that we find in the New Testament. In terms of why there's such a threat, and I think other churches are not supportive and even hostile to the near-death experience. That really comes from people being challenged from some of their core beliefs, where a very strict literalist interpretation, especially of the Gospel of John, would lead you to an us-and-them mentality, where if folks don't believe and adhere to a version of Christianity that's very specific to the most conservative interpretations, then those folks aren't Christians, and those folks are going to hell. And this, the NDE message is is very different. I think Mm -hmm. the lesson could be that no religion has a monopoly on truth. That's what really is important is not your dogma or your doctrine, but how you've loved and how you're Expressing forgiveness throughout your life,
0: so that really could be a major stumbling block for many churches that believe that if you're not Christian, you're you're uh, not going to heaven.
1: Oh, for sure, and I think not just if you're not Christian, but if you're not Christian the way they want everyone to be Christian, in terms mm. of um, you know the the need for a personal savior uh, is not present in all churches that are followers of Jesus. And the, I actually discovered uh, Unity Church, which is a New Thought Christian church. Uh, there are probably about 1.5 million adherents to New Thought Christianity, according to Wikipedia, and it's based on um, the teachings of Phineas Quimby, who in the 1800s, mid-1800s, his writings led to the New Thought movement and consciousness and Religious science, Unity Church, and the Church of Divine Science are probably the three biggest denominations. And it's um, based on infinite intelligence, that God is everywhere, the Spirit in the totality of real things, true human selfhood is divine, so that since we're already divine, we don't need a Savior, but we do need a way-shower, and Jesus is the way-shower in terms of his example of love and forgiveness. That's what we believe at Unity. Mm.
0: So as uh, so I recall, Quimby, Quimby, I, I live in Maine, and wasn't Quimby a Maine resident as well?
1: I believe, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly, and I actually I looked on Wikipedia today just to make sure I had my details straight. But um, <laughs> he's had a huge influence, and the the founder of religious science um, uh, wrote a book called Science of Mind, which uh, has been a huge influence, and in fact, Louise Hay considers herself a science and mind minister. She became one in 1981. A lot of your listeners are probably familiar with her books, and her biggest one, You Can Heal Your Life, or Love Yourself, Heal Your Life, is all based on those philosophies.
0: Hmm. Weren't some of the ideas that uh, Quimby espoused sort of taken over by, um, uh, what's the... Christian science? science... Christian science, yes, my mind went blank there for a minute.
1: Yeah, no, Christian science and uh, its founder, Mary Becker Eddy, did uh, base a lot of her teachings on his work. Uh, But it's considered different from New Thought because it's explicitly theistic and um, was a more clear attempt to reposition itself as a return to early Christianity in a way that um, apparently Quimby wasn't doing that. But it, it was definitely significantly influencing uh, Christian Science's founder.
0: Now, did Quimby believe, or does your does the Unity Church now believe that uh, Jesus came to save the world, basically Christians and non Christians alike?
1: Well, I think um, save the world is probably not how they how we would phrase it in my understanding, and I've only been a member for three years, but I think it, Jesus was God's clear messenger of God's message of love and forgiveness. And so it was a revolutionary message. And, uh, I, there's no doubt about his importance as the number one historical figure in human in mankind. And that his message transformed uh, man's relationship to God, but that, uh, we're really saving ourselves as we grow into our higher self with his guidance hmm. so it's not a focus on Jesus as savior but Jesus as the way and really discovering the Christ within you and that we're already loved beyond our wildest understanding and it's that love that near-death experiencers experience in their near in their um NDEs that when we're reconnected back to that, that somehow this is some kind of um, experience that maybe we volunteered for, and we come in soul groups to live out, to express God's love through our incarnation as spiritual beings having a human experience, in that mm-hmm. famous quote.
0: The, the power of uh, some of the NDE stories that uh, I've read or encountered you know, firsthand talking to patients at the hospital um, do tend to trigger in other people and family members or friends uh, memories of some other kinds of spiritual experience that they may have had. Do do you find this is true? And maybe you could tell us uh, about some of those connections.
1: Yes, definitely. I think uh, that's a common reaction when people learn about the NDE and, and this amazing experience that many, many, I mean, thousands, I guess millions of people have had, although, you know, not everyone's writing books about it. It's very common. In fact, I found most people know someone who have had an NDE when the subject is brought up, like, oh, yeah, my uncle had that, or my dad had that, or sometimes people say I had that. I've had many friends tell me they had one Um And at dinner parties, this comes up, I've been at a dinner party where the mother shared this and had never told the two daughters that she had two, each one during a difficult pregnancy, uh, a a delivery. So it's remarkable that people hold these stories back until they feel like they're given permission to discuss it when it comes up either in a book discussion or a one-on-one conversation. But that's exactly what happened when I was with my aunt at the hospital. Um, and she wasn't very open to the topic when I raised the articles and the, the NDE, but then after a long pause she said to me, did I ever tell you about the time when Stu came back to me after he died in a dream every night for two weeks, and she went on to explain this dream where she said, I was asleep but I was awake, and the elements of the dream were very common in terms of what people share for those with those dreams that are not really dreams, where you're talking to someone, but it's like mental telepathy. They look beautiful, as good as they've ever looked, outlined in a white light. And the message from the deceased is typically, I'm okay, and you're going to be okay. And don't worry about me. Live your life and live it with love. These experiences with the deceased are very common. In the U.S., surveys have shown that up to 50% of the population has either experienced a vision of the dead person and had a conversation or has felt the presence of someone who's passed away recently. And so many people have had that experience, and those come up in these conversations that we have in the book discussions. When people share most people have had something happen in their life that they can't explain and that stays with them very clearly um, and are pretty eager to discuss it when they're given the opportunity. And I think it's a way to reconnect to their spirituality.
0: What, what do you suppose is holding people back from uh, talking about these things? If, if there are 50% of the population out there who have in some way experienced um, a personal spiritual um, revelation. Why? What is it? Is it uh, um, churches that are repressing the discussion of this? Is it uh, our the basic scientific nature of our way of thinking these days that that uh, represses it? But, and how how can we um, how can we give permission to people to talk more about this?
1: I mean, I think the main thing holding people back is they don't want people to think they're crazy they don't want to be embarrassed and uh, once people hear about so many other people having these experiences and I think Evan Alexander's book Proof of Heaven, the fact that he was a, neo, uh, a neurosurgeon gave people, you know, well if this guy knows the brain that well and his conclusions are that his experience was legitimate and it's totally outside the realm of how medicine and physicians are viewing the nature of consciousness then I guess it's okay for me to talk about you know, my grandmother when she came and sat at the end of my bed the day after her funeral. Yeah. Uh, I think this stuff is very threatening to a lot of conservative churches that don't have any of this in their bandwidth. Um, but it's real and it happens, and I think people are relieved to have an opportunity to discuss it, and that's been my experience with the folks who come to the book studies that I've, I've shared. And in fact, some of those um, one-time book studies have resulted in smaller groups getting together on an ongoing basis as a book club to discuss these spiritual topics or just their spirituality in general when people were kind of looking for another outlet besides traditional traditions, religious
0: tradition. Mm. It, it always puzzles me a little bit that um, people can say the the Bible is the only source of um, uh, spiritual revelation when, in fact, many of the people who wrote the Bible obviously were either inspired by NDEs or automatic writing, or a vision of some sort, uh, the same sorts of things that go on even to this day.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. (laughs) um, (laughs) You know, even, uh, you know, Jesus' resurrection, I mean, that when he appeared to the disciples, which I think makes perfect sense, that this kind of ragtag group of peasants and fishermen were motivated to spread uh, the Gospels and found one of the world's great religions. I mean, there has to be a, an explanation for that, and his resurrection would explain it and his appearance to them. Um, so it, it, uh, it gives a lot of context to it.
0: Mm-hmm. In places of, where there's a, still a very strong faith um Places in Africa, for instance, where Christianity has really taken off, uh, you hear more of miracles and visions and even resurrections from the dead of people who've died and have been, you know, restored uh, than you would ever hear in Western culture. And it seems to me that's not to say that that's all superstition in Africa and that we're more enlightened. It seems like maybe we're, something is going on over there that we're not acknowledging over here?
1: Well, um, my year, my time in Africa was was very significant for me in terms of opening my mind to uh, just in general. You can't, and Africa really stays in your heart and it's a pretty special place where so different from North America and Europe where I'd spent a lot of time previously that there's a connection to spirit, I think, in the non-Western world that that we just can't appreciate. Where their lack of possessions, you know, our our wealth and our cars, our big homes, everything we have in our houses, it weighs us down in a way and depresses our spirituality. That the developing world is completely free of that. That was my observation, and to this day, I've never met a community of people who were happy. No one's taking Paxil or whatever. There's no depression that I saw, but they have so little in the way of material possession. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of problems, and life wasn't perfect or easy. But there's a genuine happiness that I think comes from their spirit. That. Hmm.
0: Uh, our I, modern- I, when I, uh, I had the. Uh- I had the opportunity to spend some time in Ethiopia myself, and the people there were, and it's predominantly a Christian country, but they were so, the people that I met were so spiritual and so impoverished at the same time. But I always noticed on Sunday, no matter the fact that they didn't have washing machines or anything, that they would go out to their churches in the most dazzling, sparkling white garments, that they would somehow or other manage to, to really clean up for Sunday services because they believed that that was the most important thing in their lives.
1: Yeah. And it's an, you know, an all day thing. (laughs) I mean, it's not like an hour you're in and you're out. Like a lot of our services, um, it's a real opportunity to celebrate who you are. Um, so yeah, I consider I was very religious and conservative growing up. Uh, and I, I, I'm spiritual now in a way that uh, I think as long as your religion is getting you to a point of spirituality that it's putting you on a path where you're getting outside the boxes and you're growing, uh, that religion can be very good. Mm. If religion is keeping you in a box and preventing you from growing into your spirituality, I think that's a problem.
0: Well, clearly your interest in NDEs has taken you uh, quite a ways, considering the fact that uh, at one point you were mainline Methodist, and, and this um, September you're going to be speaking at an IONS conference uh, about near-death experience not having had one yourself. Um, so how would you say NDEs have played a part in, in the spiritual growth you've had?
1: Well, I mean, it's the it's the whole reason for it. I think it expanded my mind and led me to what i feel like is a more genuine spirituality and healthier place where um i think the bottom line is it's all about love and forgiveness and jesus is his life was a perfect example of that Mm -hmm. and not about us and them we're all in this together unity the name it's you know we're all one and all the divisions are phony you know race gender orientation all that we're all one from the same divine source just in this human experience and it's kind of like a big illusion that we're separate but we're out of one out of many we're one
0: have you been to any uh, ians conferences before this one
1: I have. Uh, I went to the one in Durham in 2011, and then in D.C. two years ago, it was based here, and I was uh, a little bit involved in in that one, although I
0: didn't speak at the conference. Mm. And and, um, obviously, you're coming back to San Antonio because you think uh, these conferences are worth uh, uh, attending.
1: Well, they are, and I had um, been thinking about sharing my experiences through the book studies in terms of how non-NDEers respond to the information and how I feel like it's a an opportunity for people to reconnect to their own spirituality. I have a lot of, I know a lot of atheists, I guess we all do. I always feel like atheists, the God that atheists don't believe in never existed. <laughs> but that the NDE is a way for them to think about God in a new way. So I think most atheists or people who are rejecting religion are rejecting the brand of religion that is sending people to hell if you don't believe exactly what they believe. Yes. You know, and that's, you know, that's why people become atheists, because they get so turned off by what they think is Christianity or what they've experienced maybe in their own church. Um but that the NDE story can reconnect people because there's elements that just ring so true that um, it's about growing in your higher self, about living without fear, and about love.
0: And these are personal stories. They aren't uh, dogma or rites or rituals coming out of, uh, out of um, a church. They're, and there's nothing more powerful... Well, even Jesus knew that teaching by parable was a powerful way to uh, to convey an idea. And the the NDE stories are so unique, even though they're so similar, that uh, they're very moving uh, on that account. They are, and the people's,
1: uh the range of people who are experiencing very similar things or lessons. Or hearing the same things are completely different. Like Eben Alexander, who was more or less an atheist or an agnostic when he had his experience. Mary Neal, who is a conservative Christian, relatively conservative, you know, and I wouldn't say you know she's a more traditional um, faith place. And then Anita Moriani, who grew up in a poly cultural experience in Hong Kong with uh, a yeah, Hindu background, so it, everyone having such similar compelling experiences, it, it gives people a lot to think about.
0: Mm. And they'll be at this conference coming up September 3rd through 6th. Well, how how can listeners get in touch with you if they have further questions or if they'd like to uh, continue this discussion with you?
1: Well, we can uh, put my email on uh, on your site, it's bow.billips at gmail.com.
0: Okay. That's that's straightforward. Yep. Very good, Bo. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, coming on to NDE Radio with us today. Uh, unfortunately, we're we're just about out of time. Uh, my thanks to Bo Phillips for his very reassuring comments on the universal healing nature of NDEs. I hope you'll be able to come hear his discussion at the up- upcoming IONS conference in San Antonio If you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANs, please check that website at IANDS.org. There will be information there about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference in San Antonio, Texas, uh, on NDEs as rites of passage from September 3rd through 6th. Bo will be there, and I look forward to seeing you there as well. Thanks for listening.